Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. What's going on? <laughs> what's going on? I mean, why do I always have to answer that question? Let me ask you, what's going on? <laughs> um, not too much. Well, I'm going to an opening tonight in Amsterdam of Jan Robert Leegte. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's at Upstream Gallery, the same gallery I'm working with. I like the way you said that. And then, uh, <laughs> in a way that I, I would never, I would never be able to pronounce his name properly. Yeah, I thought it was, I, I could tell you guys a little bit about his name, but it, well, his first name is Jan Robert, which is like John Robert, so that's not that weird. And then his last name is Leegte, which means emptiness in Dutch. Oh, so it, it, there's Constant Dullard, who's also with the same gallery, and and his name doesn't sound so weird in Dutch, but in English it sounds like Constant Dull Art. Yeah. I, I'd known him for years, and then American friends were like, don't you think his name is weird? I'm like, why? Constant? Yeah, what about it? <laughs> Constant dull art? I'm like, oh, I never think. Because when you pronounce it in Dutch, you really don't think about it. How do you pronounce it in Dutch? Yeah, Constant Dullaert, but Dullaert, oh, it, it doesn't mean anything in Dutch. Yeah. So it's, it's just a normal last name, but right. just because he's an artist. And then he said he really gets requests where people think his name is an artist project and they're like well show me your passport and then he shows his id and then they still don't believe it they're like, oh it's a project because also his work is about vernacular and boredom and mm-hmm. yeah i feel like we're then, we, we mention him every episode now yeah yeah <laughs> he should be paying us royalties but then actually Jan Robert, jan's work is pretty cool too it's very yeah. similar so jan 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 john um he has this funny name it just means emptiness in mm. in dutch it's not and a common last name, but it's also not outrageous, but it's just mm-hmm. funny. And then he has leegte.org, leegte. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like emptiness.org in Dutch. And the way I know his work is because he did a lot of <clears throat> um, sort of kind of interface sculptures or paintings based on interfaces, right? Yeah, yeah. I guess none of the, I don't know if any of them were paintings, but they're like, kind of like scroll bar. Well, he always considers himself a sculptor, I think. So yeah, he's sculptor, sculpting yeah. with it in, in the sense that he's not repainting a scroll bar, but he's actually using code and then it's more collage than painting. Yeah, and I always, yeah. I felt, I, he's another one of those people I'm incredibly jealous of. Like, you're one of them, he's one of them. There's certainly <laughs> a, a bunch of other uh, artists, but where you're like, oh, like they figured out this like If only secret, you could realize how cool you were yourself. The secret formula. <laughs> I know, but you, like, there's artists have envy other artists for having like certain careers and and a practice where they get to make certain yeah, kind of work. Yeah, it's you know? it's it's funny when you're envious of somebody else, but you can't. It's like being envious about someone else being taller. Mm-hmm. And then, right. well, what are you gonna do? Get a, a leg extension or wear high <laughs> heels every day? There's nothing you can do about it. So. I just want to like trade places for a couple of weeks, you know? Like, let me make some scroll bar art. <laughs> and, and I'll well, let you, you, yeah. you know, and I'll let you uh, goof, you can ar- wear the goof turtle around. Neck. Yeah, you can wear the turtleneck and make a fool of yourself. Because <laughs> yeah. that's what the people want. <laughs> I'm trying to think of other people's that I'd love to switch with, but I always remember seeing David Lynch movies and then kind of being really impressed, but also really depressed that that's far beyond my capabilities. Well, like if you could uh, trade places with Marina Abramovic for a day. Oh, no. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be her for half a second. <laughs> She's the most annoying person. I would. I think it would be funny because I'd be like, I'd just call Kanye West up and then we'd like go get some gems together. <laughs> I I was in a group show once uh, organized by Dazed and Confused, the magazine, mm-hmm. and it, it 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 wasn't hanging out with real celebrities. I guess it was semi-celebrities, but it was so miserable because everybody was so special and nobody wanted to acknowledge that the other people in the room were special too. Mm. So that's what I imagine hanging out with celebrities is like. Everyone's just, just pretending not to be famous. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it's. I think as a teenager, I was like, you would listen to bands or watch movies, and like, wow, if only I could hang out with those people. But mm. I think it's probably not that fun. It's a. It's kind of um, on topic for today because I think you mentioned you wanted to talk about meaning and like, uh, in a yeah. way. I, I've been. Know. I've just been encountering the word more and more when people say, "Well, we need to do something meaningful. Meaningful capitalism, meaningful way of spending your time." 
mm-hmm. a meaningful uh, movie to watch. And, and I have no idea. Everybody means something different. It's the Me, new yeah. like authenticity or something like that. Maybe. I've just been encountering the word. And then it, it comes up a lot in art because then people say, well, what does this mean? Well, the reason I thought that that was um, kind of the, like the, the, the question I have for you that's maybe the, how we pivot into the topic is like, I was just watching uh, to prepare for this I, like five minutes before. This is our this is the amount of preparation I do. <laughs> Googling meaning is such a sad thing. But then I was like, I better hear what like a, <laughs> I better hear what a philosopher has to say about this. And I found a this clip. This is really from, funny. It's like, oh, oh, so so how do you guys come up with all these these in depth opinions? Well, I Google for about four and a half minutes, and whatever shows up on the first page. Well, anyway, here's what, yeah, our, my favorite, uh, my favorite disgusting philosopher, Slavoj Žižek, had to say on meaning. <laughs> he said, uh, he, in this clip from a, a movie by Astra Taylor, he talks about, um, you know, meaning is the opposite of idealization. Uh, it's like, and, and then it's he intention. Quote, yeah, like, what he quoted like this, uh, it's, it's the accumulation of cat- catos- catastrophe, he was saying. Um, and one of the things he quoted that I really liked was I used to have this mantra when I was a kid, like my brother and I used to work on the computer, like, you know, every day we would get up in the morning and we'd like run down to wherever our computer was set up. And for the, you know, until our parents got up, it was pure computer time. Like, so I would get up earlier and earlier until like, I used to get up when the sun because was Because your rising. parents would be mad if you were on the computer too much? Yeah, it'd be like. Yeah, as soon as my parents were up, there was either an errand, a chore, like, go play outside. Play outside is the two words I don't want to hear. (laughs) (laughs) No! (laughs) Not outside, not play, you're killing me. (laughs) You're dictating Yeah. But it would be like, okay, the one thing we really want to do is... Can I play with my macros? Yeah, like... No, go outside and play ball. The, yeah, the actual thing we were doing is we were like designing video games, researching programs. It's like it's like imagine living in a world where like learning and education are like banned. We're just like yeah. we're just like we're it's trying forbidden. to figure out the theory of everything. And the neighbors are, t- are talking about you know those kids they they learn all the time. I know it's disgusting. <laughs> it's disgusting. It's like they tried to, to send them to rehab, yeah. but they just keep learning. Yeah, they're trying to com- com- program their computer. It's evil. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we would dirty we spreadsheet. Would, yeah we would like design video games and stuff and my brother is like now an architect and he's kind of like um he's self-described uh autistic in a way i guess the asperger's is what well i don't think they use that word anymore but anyway he's very focused on the details let me put it that way so focused on the details um that you know my our mantra together is we'd be working on something like a we'd be designing a video game or a level or a house or something anyway we were doing all kinds of crazy things and I always had this mantra for him, which for us to get along, I was like, imperfection is perfection. That was like uh, what we mm-hmm. like. That was our shared understanding. But would that be a way of, of him letting go of details and looking at the big picture? Yeah, it was like, I mean, I'm just trying to, I, I know I've really kind of gone off the rails, but it reminded me that meaning is often, um, you know, it's, it's, it's trying to take control, right? I think it's like our urge least in my understanding of it, to understand um, something that is not understandable, right? That's the accumulation of, you know, random decisions uh, made by nature kind of thing. Yeah, and I, I think there's many different contexts and, and uses of the word. So simply there's, there's like, uh, how do I say bread in French? If you want to go to the bakery and you want to you point at the red, then you need to know the meaning of the mm-hmm. word bread in French or specifically... I need a whole wheat mid-sized baguette or mm-hmm. whatever. So the, it's clear then, so what does that mean in, the, in Dutch? Or in the, I mean, that's pretty obvious. But then there's meaning in terms of a purpose. And I think that's where it gets tricky, where people need, try mm-hmm. to ask the meaning of life. and But it's it, a search for, even in that case, the search for order amid yeah, chaos. Yeah, well, right? it's, it's maybe this search for... Um, an answer to evaluate your own actions. So it's, it's something to measure yourself against. Mm-hmm. So, it, for example, if you're very religious, then it's it, it's clear what what you should do to live a good life. And then mm-hmm. you can always, okay, I, I gave to charity, I prayed a lot. I, Would you I say it's the, an, it's the answer to the question, why? And, and in this case, why do I exist? Right. Yeah, but not to get too... Uh, life philosophy, life goals, but it's just, 
in art, I notice a lot that um, there's this thing in in the Netherlands and maybe in conceptual art in general that visual enjoyment is um, suspicious, mm-hmm. and that you always have to have a meaning besides the visual layer, and the visual layer is is just some is just a coating on top of the idea. But the idea is where you want people to get, and so then you want the thing to look as miserable as possible because then there's no suspicious enjoyment of, of enjoying the surface. Mm. And this whole idea of an artwork being like an egg and that you want to get nourished from what's inside the shell. You don't want to just... Wait, I've never heard this idea before. <laughs> well, that's my... It, I'm just using that analogy. It, is, is that I, one it, of yours? It's, it's, it's sort of what I was fighting against in art school where teachers were like, yeah, but what does it mean? And mm-hmm. so they see the work as an egg that you have to peel the mm. the outside to get to the nourishment. And, and my idea is that it, um, there's no inside or outside. So Right. And I mean, and obviously with your work, uh, you're potentially referencing the history of abstraction, right? And um, I no, think that's... No, not just that, but... Well, I kind of... Uh, I, I can't, can we go there for a sec? Okay. <laughs> just want yeah. You're cutting me off. Um, no, but I want to go back to well, I because when I think about meaning, I think of the Enlightenment in this period in history when science emerged, um, and um, artists and philosophers and everyone were cert- believed they could find answers to questions if they followed the scientific method, kind of thing, right? So they were together um, on a mission. Yeah, they were, everyone, there was this collective mission. To un, we felt like we could understand the world. So prior to the Enlightenment, I would say, like, you know, people were like, yeah, God figured it out. You know, it's like he did that. He did, you know, it's like every, yeah. to the answer to every question, what does this mean? It's like, nah, God, you know, he knows what it means. You, I, you know, I think this is what he thinks, but I'm not really sure. In the end, don't worry. I'll be, but the Enlightenment comes along and people are like, you know, you know, th- this this could be we could figure out how this works. You know, it's more about how and we and, and if we figure out how it works, then we might understand how it fits with this other thing and the ecology of all things will be understood. And once we do that, well, then I we're, think they really you know, had this idea. Yeah, they had this idea that knowledge was a, a finite thing. Yeah. That they, they were like, okay, we're at thirty percent now. If we work hard for about five years we'll be at 35 percent yeah exactly in about that many years we'll know everything yeah like they're like the intel or apple computer <laughs> like kind of ink like TikTok. like well it's just like through hard work we're going to figure this world out together mm-hmm. and artists at the time really admired musicians for having figured something out that was like pretty amazing which is they had figured out how to how to trigger an emotion uh in the brain using a non-representational form, right? So that they, like yeah. a, a note, like, or a series of notes strung together in a harmony or whatever could like make you cry or make you laugh or make you joyous or make you sad. And they were like, so they were trying to unpack the brain, right? If you think about it, the brain is still where this conversation around meaning happens. Yeah. And uh, and they were like, musicians, they figured out something like fundamental about how the emotions in the brain works. What if we could do the same thing with art? And so they started to try and transcribe or figure out um, a way of triggering emotion in a non-representational way, almost like scientists, like a red triangle is going to make you feel this way, right? Or mm-hmm. a, a, you certain know, colors will evoke certain, certain colors, responses. movements. Yeah, because there were filmic experiments at the time, too. Which and, time are you talking about now? Well, I'm starting to verge into the 1920s, 1910s okay. kind of thing. Um, and the idea that that uh, like that something visual that was not a representation of something else, so it's not a tiger or a lion or a car or building, could make a direct stimulation yeah. of your senses without a symbol. Yeah, and specifically, they would refer to synesthesia, right? This idea mm-hmm. that um, that one sense could affect another sense. In this case, the visual cortex could affect, um, like I don't know, some some uh, emotional uh, yeah. system. And you're, you're trying to cut out the middleman. So then a, a representation would be a middleman. It's like, well, it's actually not the tiger that creates the danger, but it's yellow next to black. Yeah, yeah. And and I think where it's interesting in terms of meaning is that like abstract expressionism, you know, kind of marches along and forgets about that early, um, those early abstract expressionist experiments were really about the expression being tied to an emotion. Um, and it, it was actually a very scientific pursuit. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then by the time they're like, I mean, but the way we think about it now is like, oh, yeah, it was just like a bunch of dicks like spewing <laughs> come all over a canvas or whatever. Right? 
<laughs> it's about Harleys and hanging out at the bar. Yeah, and being it's drunk. like it's yeah. like yeah, it's just or it's about it. Yeah, pouring pain. Well, it's yeah, it's this word of, about that annoys me. Mm-hmm. So so it, even when they try to go towards abstraction or it, it doesn't have to be abstraction, but for me, art is interesting when you create something just because it wants to exist and not for another purpose other than that. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the fundamental thing for me where it's different than other things. Um, the word useless comes up, but things always find a use. Mm-hmm. But it, it, initially you made it and you don't even understand why you made it. It just had to exist. Mm-hmm. You just had this urge like, oh, I just wanted to, this had to exist. End of story. Mm-hmm. Nothing like, well, but what does it mean? And, and how, who were you friends with at the time? And what was your life like? And then you get to this psychoanalysis where you try to dissect the motives. And then you see, well, you see, there's this group of people. So we're going to label it as that. But starting in the 1970s, there was sort of this agreement in the art world, like a handshake that everything already exists, right? Now, whether that was true or not, mm-hmm. right? The postmodernists were like, mm, kind of, it's all been done, right? And so I think we're just going to make combinations. <clears throat> well, it's like I think they just did that to depress young art students. Because <laughs> I don't know how I many. I've had a lot of students, uh, studio visits with student, young students, and as soon as they start to describe the work, it's like, oh, have you seen the work of? And I start to list like twenty other people. <laughs> it's so depressing for them. It's the worst thing you can do to another human being. Yeah, I but there's a general thing in in uh, art education and in art funding and uh, committees and all these things that people have to communicate so then they have to switch to words mm-hmm. so uh, uh, i think david hockney was saying something if you want to critique photography you have to make photos you can't talk about it you have mm-hmm. to critique in the language of photography which is the camera or prints or whatever mm-hmm. um if you really want to critique music then you have to make music mm-hmm. um so then you get to this problem where in schools and every what I'm getting at is that a lot of people will show their work and then start talking before you can even look at it. And like, mm-hmm. well, I was here and then I was there and then I brought this thing and then this happened and that's why it looks the way it looks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's maybe what I mean with the, the problem of meaning is that we often either, our opinion or the reason to make something is very instinctive and nonverbal. It's, it's a... It's a deeper part, but we call that shallow because you can't explain it. Mm. And yeah. so this idea of deep sometimes is the opposite. When you, when you have a, a very tight story and you're like, well, I can explain every little detail, why the material is the way it is, why right, right, right. this part. And that's actually a very shallow part. And the deep part is the, the part where uh, you just relax and just let it yeah. happen. Well, you're reminding me that like... Um there's been, re, you know, just take it back to science for a second, but there's been research in the last, uh, you know, few decades. And I think there's this book called Thinking Fast and Slow by the Kinnaman, this guy Kinnaman. Um, and it, really, there's this position now that 90% of thinking is subconscious anyway. Um, and so even if you were trying to be explicit about every decision, um, if you're ignoring that 90%. You're, you're justifying what you really wanted to do anyway. Yeah. Yeah, probably yeah. it's more like, yeah, it's like falling in love with the solution a little bit um, and selling a little hard, right? Well, I always say that uh, for me, people, there's this weird thing where people say, well, I don't know much about art, so I don't have an opinion. Mm-hmm. But nobody says that about music. And my theory is that it's really hard to explain why you prefer either orange juice or grapefruit juice. Mm-hmm then art is the same thing. And then people say, no, it's more complex and it is actually blah, 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 blah. No, it's really at the same level where it's like, well, grapefruit juice tastes way better than orange juice, but there's no way you could I mean, my my position there would be, though, that a lot more people have tasted all sorts of orange juices and grapefruit juices and... You know, so but very few people ever get in the the front door of a gallery because the, the art world's really saying to you, you know, and I've said this before, like, get away like stay back good like, don't yeah. come in here you're not good enough yeah like we don't want you here uh the way i said that actually like i was from texas you don't want you here it would be like <laughs> it wouldn't be like it would be like that would be like, we don't take kindly to your kind of folk. Yeah, it's, like, it's the opposite of that it's more like just a, this sort of subtle turn of the head away from your gaze um at the entrance to a gallery well people should grow a pair of nuts and just deal with it and just go man that's a chauvinist comment (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, what, I have this like quote up in front of me from Marshall McLuhan. I'm going to bounce it off you. I'm not sure if it's on topic, but I just was reminded about it. And uh, it says, once you see the boundaries of your environment, they are no longer the boundaries of your environment. Hmm. And, you know, a lot of what constitutes, I think, meaning is like our construction of our own reality, right? Um, like, like you were saying, like an answer for everything uh, in, yeah. a, in, a, in but, a bad abstract but, painting. But maybe we can uh, talk about the word meaning outside of art. Where, yeah, yeah, um, we can go there. I, I, I was reading a Norwegian book and I was listening to a lot of Norwegian black metal and the word meaning always comes up in the... In black metal. So I think it, it's it's a specific thing in in uh, Norwegian as well, but in general I just keep I kept seeing the word and like oh that's not meaningful. Does it is meaningful just being cool or exciting? Mm-hmm. In, I think in general in the general uh, way of using the word. Well, I think it's maybe interesting to think about it passion. from the opposite. Like what is meaninglessness, right? And so what are the things but we consider maybe it's a, it's a resistance to uh, a sort of prepackaged like mcdonald's type of food but then your whole life being like that um. right but like if i was going to take your music example right meaningless music we can all agree is like teenage pop music or something like that right and the well, reason it's agree. well i'm just saying that's like the general <laughs> pop like if you were going to say death metal versus uh, if if death metal were meaningful which i'm not sure i i i can say Truthfully, I've listened to enough to well, say. Well, I just think true. the whole word is absurd. That's that's my thesis. So, yeah. <laughs> well, this is going to be a very short podcast, though. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, like it, absolutely ridiculous. The word meaning is meaningless to you, which I think is a tautology in a way. That's like <laughs> it, it. I know, but the word meaning meaning to me is only useful when you say, "Well, what does that mean in French?" Mm-hmm. When you use it in the most simple way, but uh, to say. So if you say, well, this type of music is more meaningful than that type of music, you're basically saying, I connect more with this music than with that music. I think what you're saying is that there is something I can identify that's true about myself that I can't express. I think that would be, Mm -hmm. you know, that's why I use the teenage pop example. It touches your soul. Like with the, the teenage pop thing, I can see how you could argue it's meaningful because you can see the naivete of the person who's no, singing. No, I, I mean it's meaningful in the sense that it, it shapes people's identity because your teenage years, you're, you're shaping your yourself. So it's mm-hmm. it has a very big impact. But you can only see that in retrospect. Like a, a 14-year-old can't see that they're a 14-year-old until they're 17, right? Like you can't see who know. you are. I think you're underestimating the 14-year-olds. I was that 14-year-old. I mean, the what thing about... What did you listen to as a 14-year-old? I listened to... Well, I was really into Aphex Twin, Autechre. Uh. Yeah, so that's not meaningful. That didn't shape you and the, the Jeremy we, we love now. But I also listened to The Prodigy, which is like terrible in retrospect. Why is that terrible? Uh, I don't know. Like, uh, there, well, there was that. They had a good album, Prodigy Experience. Yeah, <laughs> Smack My Bitch Up was a good video. I did get the nickname Firestarter with my among my friends because I was great at letting no, but, fires. but my my point is that that might be the most meaningful music in your life that really shaped you. Well, I think the Aphex Twin kind of stuff did. Like the electronic music, I had it was really meaningful to me. And the if I go back to like shortly after the time I described with my younger brother, it would be like I was I had this I developed this love of computers so that I I, I would I banned all acoustic music. I wouldn't listen mm-hmm. if it had a guitar or. Any acoustic instrument. This waveform does not compute. <laughs> I was like, no, I, I was, I, you know, I was such a purist. And often young people are more pure about things. And, and maybe this is true. Maybe yeah, they, you're setting more, boundaries to, to have a group. Yeah, to, to form an identity. So I would just be like, well, you know, this is just like, it's so, it's so derivative. I mean, we got to get, we got to move forward as a civilization. <laughs> Electronic music's where it's at. I mean, yeah. take me to a rave. I'll, I'll go there. But I'm not going to listen to your acoustic guitar music. Roll over Beethoven. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was like progress obsessed as a 10-year-old. So, um, and in we so doing it. We have to move forward. Like, you know, but that's why I brought up that boundaries of reality because, like, I was already constraining. It's like a, a child that doesn't want to try new foods; they only want like cheese or something like that, right? Um, as you expound expand your boundaries, meaning like becomes like a broader and broader term in some ways, mm-hmm. because you start to understand what other people might see 
and that that's different than your own understanding. Yeah, but so it, 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 the other thing that people use the word meaning and the meaning of life is that it's really hard to accept that um, making a little bit of money to pay the rent and then having a nice meal and watching a movie, and then they're like, is this, that, is this all there is? And it's, well, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> That's about it. There's, there's no. I mean, there's no way of knowing what happens after you die. But until the day you die, that's pretty much life. You, you get to work and you do the work, and it's sometimes it's fun, sometimes it's not, and then you hang out with friends. Mm-hmm. But then people want to have this idea like, oh, my, my life has meaning, and I'm going to make a dent in the universe. And mm-hmm. uh, right. So they're looking for some sense of purpose. Well, that's a very, it's a very important sort of component, as I've mentioned. Well, they want to feel special. Yeah, but like you don't want to feel like for an artist, if we take it back to art for a sec, is like you don't want to be you 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 want to be considered among your peers, you want to be respected, and then you want to maybe like you know, be remembered even, after you die. Kind yeah. Of. It's it's just even that not that I um, have convinced myself of this, but mm-hmm. I I think you should really just not worry about the impact of your work because it's not in your control. So all you can do is focus on what you're doing yourself and then whatever the world thinks of that is not up to you. Yeah. Um, it really isn't. But if you're, I mean, as an artist, you're in this sort of, you've got to... But lo- art does give you this sort of meaning of a path where you're like, okay, no matter what, I'm, I want to contribute to this dialogue whether people are listening or not. <laughs> it's so funny you reminded me. I've been watching this terrible... It's not terrible. It's kind of good. It's a good show. I just finished watching like a binge watch on Netflix of this show called Rectify. And this guy mm-hmm. gets out of prison after 20 years of being on death row. And so he's been alone for 20 years. And he comes out and he's like, basically, he's while he's been in prison, he's co- become comfortable with the idea that his life, life will have no use or meaning. Right. Mm. And then oh, he's thrown out into the world. The first question people ask him is like, what does this mean? And, you know, and, and so he struggles with it's this. It's a classic kind of the reason it might be bad is because it's almost cringeworthy. The existential crisis that he experiences throughout this. But in the last season, guess who he meets and becomes, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend with. Nothing, a small town artist, you know, like a hippie kind of yeah, artist. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like it, 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 living in a loft, really, yeah. you know, like yeah. <laughs> who's like in yeah, touch with her like, feelings. Oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to eat at, at, uh, at these chain restaurants anymore and be in these chain hotels and eat this chain food. And I wanted a meaningful life. And then well, they think yeah. it's, it's kind of like a dilapidated industrial <laughs> building, but really nice yeah, lighting. Yeah, she's like in this, in, in this loft. And, and, and this is set in like uh, Georgia. But, and then she leaves town in the last episode, spoiler alert, and she leaves a gift for him. And that gift is, I have to, I wish, I have to find a way to like share it with our audience. But it's like, <laughs> it's a painting of like an old naked man smoking or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a general problem when you, make, when you make movies or you have a narrative about a really good artist. And then yeah. you have to show the actual work. And I mean... But they never get art right in the movies. It's always like it's the one reality that no one from outside can get right because I think they got it right in the movie Wall Street. Did they? There's there's just this one work, and I looked it up later. um, So he he has a bunch of Miro's and stuff in his Mm -hmm. uh, Gordon Gecko, but when Charlie Sheen, he really wants to meet Gordon Gecko, and he's in the waiting room, and above him is a painting of someone lighting a cigar with a hundred dollar bill that's on fire. So they use a hundred (laughs) dollar bill as a yeah. As a match, I thought, wow, yeah, that's a great painting. That's exactly. <laughs> well, it actually, was made for the for the movie, but there are a few other uh, films. I feel like the Royal Tenenbaums, if you ever saw that, had that. I can't remember oh, the name of the painter. Movies. I know, but they actually had a good. Sometimes they'll get like a real artist to in the consult. in the movie Fear and Loathing. They have a a girl who only paints Barbara Streisand pictures. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. like when they get it right, it's like it stands out as like. It, it actually takes over a part of the film and you're like, what is yeah. that going on back there, right? <laughs> like the artwork is better than the film itself. Um, but most often they're, they're doing this like, uh, there's this Portlandia episode where they decorate coffee shops. Like they have an agency that like gives you things for <laughs> coffee shops. <laughs> and it's all just the, war- you know, the artwork that we've all seen, like the worst paintings. Usually someone's like a, someone smoking, some kind of like cat it's like in a you know Mandela or something form or something. Anyway, yeah. um, we're way off track. Except that, but you uh, you have a general guideline in your work that you want to connect with people and 
improve lives. Yeah, that's like a yeah. So that's like fundamental to. I wouldn't. I wouldn't make stuff if I. And 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 I know that we've had this conversation before where. Your, you know, your work is apolitical, and I try and be political, but without politics being obvious. So, like, if I was going to make something political, I would actually not take a side. I would um, kind of position myself right in the center. And but you, you see the work as a um, as a conversation topic or exactly. a vehicle so, for action. <clears throat> yeah, like my favorite art school term is attention. <laughs> Like there's a surface tension there, right? It's like both oh, it's on okay. top of yeah. the water. It's there's a there's all the information below the water and all the information above the water. Mm-hmm. And I sit right on the on the surface. And when I when you do that, people are it, what's great is if you can make people uncomfortable enough to question their own assumptions, to question their own reality. And for me, that's what I seek. And the and the people that do that best, as I've described many times uh, in a popular context, are comedians, right? Comedians make you un- make you uncomfortable with a comfortable truth, right? Like they make you yeah. question something you thought you knew, and surprise you. And when when they break through or shatter through that tension, yeah. the result of that is a laugh. Uh, is, yeah, is I laughter. really like when when comedians reveal uh, they take away something. Like we pretend that we care, but they show you that you don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or they expose something that you know we just don't want to see, but is but they, in plain they remove sight. pretension, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I think the definition of satire is like um, exposing an uncomfortable truth, right? And and and, and art, the essence of art is adding pretension. Well, sometimes the I think of comedy is removing pretension. In my opinion, bad art is introducing new discomfort <laughs> you know like <laughs> it, it, that that i that i hopefully then my career is dedicated to then taking that as new material to to break apart again right um I, so yeah i always find the word contextualize very funny contextualize because contextualize really what it means it's it's about appropriating objects and it just means that you have access to a gallery or museum, which is a very expensive piece of real estate mm-hmm. in a major city mm-hmm. with no furniture in it. Mm-hmm. And then to place that in the most expensive room, which is something like the MoMA, yeah. means you've contextualized it. So you didn't make something, but you said, okay, I have such connections that I can put this piece of cloth in the really expensive room. Well, for me, the, like, uh, the, I was introduced to context by my sculpture professor in like first year of art school and it the the lesson they taught me really stuck with me is that you can't <clears throat> you can't ignore context and specifically she was introducing us to the concept of site specificity right like that an object that exists in a different context has a different meaning and you can extend I, I that. like uh, this was in a Zizek movie where he talks about the ode to joy by beethoven mm-hmm. and it's this melody that everybody knows and uh, it's been used by the U.S. as a country, by China, by Russia, by the Nazis, by communists, <laughs> by right. the Olympics. And no matter what the context, it's very uplifting and powerful. So I think this this context thing is also sometimes a laziness thing where you're like, oh, it has to be shown in the right context. Yeah, of course, anything you put in the really expensive room is mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. But then there's something like that melody where it doesn't matter what the context is, it it means something completely different every time. Mm-hmm. There you go with the word meaning. But this, this ode to joy, <laughs> it just feels... I think UNICEF used it and the Nazis. It, like it, it, it's that far. You can stretch it that far. Mm-hmm. So is ode to joy, in your opinion, is a container. It's a meaningless container that people fill with... Well, it's a very powerful context. something. Yeah, it's, it's not a container. It's, a, yeah, it's, like, it's like an energy drink. <laughs> and then you can use the energy drink for good or for bad, but it's not that the energy drink only works if it's heard in a certain uh, context. I see. Well, then you're much more in line with that, you know, the Enlightenment or the early abstract expressionist, believing that there is sort of a biological imperative that you can connect. Well, I, I'm not sure. I, I never had a certain <clears throat> intention of like this work has to evoke that reaction, but I. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to make work that works in very different places. So if you make internet art, you have to assume that the context is never ideal. Mm. Well, it's funny because I was interviewing, um, I, I, the way I make work is I usually interview the people that I'm going to be making work for. If I'm asked to do a new commission, I do like a series of interviews 
to uncover some kind of meaning actually yeah, but, yeah. But like some insight let's i use the term insight and i usually try and find a problem that i can solve poorly and that's like part of how i make work but i was interviewing someone for a festival that i'm designing in germany and um this guy was talking to me about this festival and they had these workshops and he wanted he had the work the workshops that he liked the most were the ones that were just about facts and he he said it like that he's like i like the the where you you learn something a fact right <laughs> and he's like but we keep hearing from our audience that they want these creativity workshops <laughs> it's like and he's, he's like i don't get it what's the point <laughs> right <laughs> and this is the classic kind of like conversation that i've had with develop you know developers or certain did you know the toothpicks yeah. were invented in 1470 well his point was that's material i can use right like he was looking mm. at like a or like a tool like a fork or a knife i can cut the meat then i can eat it then i get nutrition I but there you longer. get to the, 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 the point of meaning again because then you're like i want something useful well useful for what and I think that's also a, a problem that uh, Silicon Valley gets to where they're like, we want to do good and we want to create something that makes mm. life better. But yeah. then you, then if you really start questioning, it's like, well, is it better that you get to your destination faster? Is it better um, Yeah, that's true. that, that, that yeah. you prolong life even if someone is miserable? Or is it all these kind of things? Yeah, and there's... Um Uh, this uh, new philosopher on on the on the scene, Evgeny Morozov, or critical, the, the depressing guy, called yeah, the depressing guy, <laughs> uh, and he has this like uh, this rant that he gives in a book on it about uh, Silicon Valley's obsession with solutionism, right? The idea yeah, that yeah, yeah. that these pro and I sort of allude to that too because with my practice, I'm trying to solve problems, like that 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 the the tech world believes that. We can make improvements, and these are meaningful improvements yeah. to anything and everything, right? Um, and often, though, it just involves sharing photos more easily, and they're not really... Yeah, like when, when Mark Zuckerberg talks about uh, we want to connect people. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think what's really been interesting in the last couple of weeks is the tech industry is kind of like standing up, and they're saying like, hey, you've gone a little too far, you know, mm -hmm. with this immigration ban as an example. And just to bring it back to where I think meaning, what meaning... There's good. There are things that are meaningful, and things that are meaning less have less meaning. The meaningful things that, the meaningless things that tech companies are doing are often like improving already great lives, as you've alluded to before. Like how much lazier do we need to get? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. But I, I, I can't believe I still have to talk to my echo. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like uh, I wish it just knew what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> you don't understand me. <laughs> But uh, I don't think you could, I mean, it would be hard, difficult to argue that it would be meaningful to, like, prevent others from suffering, right? Like, that's, a, you know, I think it's still, that's still But where even, I find Even meaning. that gets really tricky where I, I see that uh, the societies that get it right, technically, like the Netherlands or the Scandinavian countries, mm -hmm. there's a lot of loneliness. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that comes from... so. Whatever you do, there's always an advantage and disadvantage. So it's it's tricky when you, when you really. So what's the mission? Well, the mission is to make everybody uh, comfortable, safe, prolong their life expectancy, uh, yeah. make sure they're healthy. And then all of a sudden, it turns out that everybody is so comfortable in their own little box that everybody's lonely. Well, my so, favorite, like my favorite argument against. Um, You know, like people are obsessed with climate change, rightly so, right? The end of the planet and our species is at, you know, at risk. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what no one ever talks about that's important to... Is that Canada's really cold. It's well, like, no, guys. it's important. We need yeah, some global exactly. warming. I'm freezing cold right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, you guys can consider our feelings. <laughs> no, but the thing that no one ever talks about is like the world and the universe doesn't care if we, if we become extinct, right? Well, they, so, yeah, there's, there's, like, there's no emotion, emotional programming into the universe as far as we know. Yeah, in fact, it's probably part of, if there were meaning, part of the design would be that we eliminate ourselves eventually. Yeah, as good riddance. We had that really weird human bug, so thank God it's over. But that also sounds like... We're like an like, eczema that has to be dealt with. <laughs> but it seems like, you know, I've had a great life. You know, thanks. Kind of, It's like, I'm all right. I'm up the ladder. See you later, John. Like, I'm just going <laughs> to... It's not a, it's not a really uh, really kind way, and maybe kindness isn't a part of this discussion. Yeah, but no, uh, no, no. But yeah, but it, for me, it, it comes up a lot where uh, people are really stressed about politics now, and then they're like, "Well, why should I even make art? What's the point?" 
because it's not well, even going to change change society. But I, that's I think the whole point incorrect. is I, I I mean I disagree personally. Well, but I, I I've been seeing different people on Twitter saying, well, I'm a bit embarrassed, but I have a show, but it's a weird time to talk about it, or mm-hmm. things like that. But I think it's the, now's the time. Now's more time than ever. For the people that communicate and artists communicate, I don't think we can. Yeah, but what if they don't communicate? What if it's just fundamental research? If if art is is without meaning, but it's just like I have to pursue this most individual interest, which I have no explanation how it is of value to anyone. Mm-hmm. But the point is that it's an interest that is somewhere in me, and it, I want to uh, materialize that interest. I want to pursue that interest. Yeah, and I'm not sure if it's going to help anyone. But that's just what I mean. If if we if there was universal expression if everyone was allowed to express themselves with equal force mm-hmm. then we wouldn't have the problem a lot of the problems that exist today right like a lot of the a lot of what exists as a problem if you want to boil it down and make it super abstract is that louder voices and or more powerful voices often quiet you know the quietest voices. Right? It's, it's funny because that, that was the initial optimism with the web that, oh, now everyone can be heard, everyone can start a blog, and that will help people because the, the, the small people will have a voice as well. And then that turned into echo chambers and conspiracy theories. And, but I, I, I really remember right, at the beginning right. of the web, it was like, okay, now everybody can join in on the conversation right. and we'll, we'll really get somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now you've you got the fake news thing coming in, I guess. But... Um, I mean, I'm not saying that. Yeah, I mean, that's a that the fake news things really bothers me in terms of meaning, and maybe because again, in terms of oh, meaning, yeah, there's being, an interesting uh, uh, when we talk about meaning. Yeah, because the, the meaning yeah. is a construction of a reality, and you're everyone's allowed to have their own reality, like this Barth kind of moment where like the audience is always right. Which um, is yeah, it's it's what media theorists have been talking about for a hundred years. Yeah. And now we're yeah. just seeing the reality of it. Now yeah. it's like, well, this is what we always talk about too, I think, on on the podcast, which is like a lot of art or philosophy ideas eventually become it takes a while, but eventually become like mainstream problems. <laughs> like Yeah, we'll so that's that, maybe what I'm like, getting at with the with the fundamental research <laughs> is that you're making something that might become an atomic bomb yeah. psychologically. And so you you're just making something intending with without any intention, not knowing if it'll be good or bad for anything. I mean, personally, yeah, because I enjoy speculating on the future so much and picking up on like little things that are changing, as do you, I think, because otherwise we wouldn't mm-hmm. be talking about this. And to see you, I've seen, you know, we, we I think we see how those things and other people that we know back come back to some original thought that might have been 100 years ago or 200 years ago. Um, I don't know if the average person... Um, on Facebook, you know, consuming fake news understands that this stuff was predicted or if it even matters. Um, But the truth is like, it's not, it's not meaningless to get out ahead of that. It, the funny thing I think that we've realized is often like we've all been, like we've talked about before, we've all been at the panel discussion where they're talking about like a breakthrough idea. And there's like two people in the audience. Um, If people aren't ready for that reality yet, um, they're not really mm-hmm. ready to listen or understand yeah. it. Or, well, I, so it I remember really seeing a documentary about the early web and they visualized it as the information superhighway, as a literal 3D rendered highway with, <laughs> right. with gas stations. And right. one gas station was like an encyclopedia and the other gas station. And the idea was that you would have personalized news and it would be a 3D avatar saying like, good morning, yeah. let me tell you about the things that happened that are important to you. So yeah. you have meaning for yeah. you that means something to you uh, well there you go with the word meaning so people want to ha- follow news that they can relate to that uh, has that has an impact on their life and that sort of fits their view of reality yeah and I think so that maybe is, that's also the word meaning it doesn't mean anything to me what does that mean this means something to me yeah yeah I think that the, actually I think that's fundamental that's the best uh, point we could we could probably we've probably arrived at and it really is informed by um, all kinds of biases, you know, that we're exposed to, really. I did this um, workshop on unconscious biases a few weeks ago. And while I was researching, I, I came across this test you can take called an implicit association test. Have you ever heard of this? No, I haven't. I think it's actually really interesting for artists to consider because uh, it, it's like scientists trying to figure out exactly what we're talking about. So basically, they start you off there are different kinds of tests you can take. I'll describe the one that they, they in this book that 
called blind spot that they first described and I tried it first. So basically the way this test works is they present to you a series of, uh, of words, in this case, plants or flowers and insects, and then negative words, negative adjectives and positive adjectives. And you, they flash up on screen and you associate um, the like flower with the positive word for the so first session. So happy flower, angry flower. Yeah. Things but, like that. Yeah. So it'll be like happy flower, you know, angry ant or stinky ant or whatever like that. Mm-hmm. And you go back and forth and then they switch it, right? Um, so then it's like you have to associate the flower with the negative word and the yeah. insect with the positive word. There's also these funny things when you write the name of a color, but you you put the font in a different color. So the word yellow in red yeah, letters. And then yeah. that's really confusing. So what it exposes, though, when you do this is like, it takes you a lot longer to make the association between the positive word and the insect. It's okay. almost, it's it's really, if you try this this test, it's like, it hurts your brain. And it's so, a lot easier to, to have an angry ant, to get used to that, than a happy ant. Exactly. And then, it, yeah. yeah, so then if you take this, you can take this test for all kinds of things, you know. Doesn't that matter a lot, like when you see the sun, it's, that's considered a positive thing, so if you, and a, and a spider is considered a negative thing, so that, yeah, there's different categories of, of images. Yeah, yeah, and then the the worst case scenario, of course, that we're all living is like, uh, you you know, you make these associations about people. So like, if they're of a certain race or gender, mm-hmm. um, and so you start to bring your own reality. Like, why can't these like you know immigrants get their act together, kind of thing? It's because you've you know you have all these associations. Um, yeah, why can't these art critics? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I took the test actually for, and it was like, it was white and black children. <laughs> and <laughs> I was Which one like, is the thief? Yeah, and exactly. It was like positive negative association. I was like, I'm probably just going to come out even because I'm like pretty much social justice kind of advocate. Da, da, da. And I, you know, I'm, I'm going to admit like, because I've already done this in front of an audience that like it came out that I had a strong bias towards white children, like a, or a strong bias against black kids which was like kind of shocking to my system. And then I read a little bit more from other people and I found out that Malcolm Gladwell, whose mother was Jamaican, he also, you know, he's a famous author. But but we've been so, uh, there's so much media training to have that negative view. Yeah, so there's this idea of like an implicit or like available, there's this availability bias. So, so the information that you're exposed to creates this bias, um, you know, and you're just exposed to Yeah, because even this. if you're trying to prove that it's the bias isn't there, you're already confirming the bias. Yeah, and also just you've been, like, you've been passively consuming information and you have to work actively against it almost. Like, uh, there's this classic test I think they also give um, people where they ask you, like, you know, who died of more things? You know, murder, diabetes, murder, suicide, and car accidents and abdominal cancer. So, like, if I asked you who... Like, who dies more of murder or diabetes? What would you answer? Mm. What would you answer? Wait, who, what's the If choice? I asked you, like, murder or diabetes in, the, in a year, how much do more people oh, die diabetes, of murder? Oh, diabetes, of course. Yeah, so you're right. So murder and suicide. Suicide. Okay. Murder is super low. I, I follow these statistics. But okay. it, it, there's then, this general th- uh, thing where people's brains uh, are geared towards immediate danger i think evolutionary <clears throat> we have a right. reason for that but you should be way more scared of mcdonald's than of yeah terrorism so most people would answer murder because they hear about murder more often and then the last yeah, one yeah. they ask is like car accidents or abdominal cancer right and most mm-hmm. people answer car accidents but it's actually way more people die of no when you cancer. think about it I, I probably uh Cardiovascular disease is like the number one killer, and number yeah. two is cancer. Or something so it's it's huge numbers. But the thing is, accident. the thing is, people yeah. don't think about it, right? And then there's well, this. I, I watched uh, this lecture by Stephen Pinker. And yeah. When you see the statistics of crime, they're so low. It's just. Yeah, yeah. It's funny that we even consider it. Yeah, actually, we just had this horrible catastrophe in Canada where this mosque was attacked. Um, not to get City. too political. No, course. but what's interesting is like, so six people were killed. Um, it's a horrible mm-hmm. tragedy for the country. But only, but the year before, like the average number of, of murders in Quebec City is three. <laughs> like it's like yeah, really, no, no, really the, low. the scary thing with terrorism is that it, it could be, sometimes it's something on the scale of 9-11. So that the, the intention is yeah. there. So that's... But also we have... The, yeah. We feel like there's more and more terrorism, but there's 
you know, or that terrorism is inflicted by a certain group. And, and mm-hmm. it's most often it's white people. You know, it's usually Americans. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's this class to bring it back to tech for a second. Like there's this classic search. Do you remember this controversy last year where if you did a Google search for um, three black teenagers or three white oh, teenagers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you ever see that? So you get like mug shots if you do a search for three black teenagers. And then you get like happy like teenagers like hugging if you do three white teenagers, like <laughs> playing football together. Like it's all these like criminals, <laughs> three black teenagers. But anyway, I, I only say this because it's like uh, this, you know, that, the that version country, of reality, the, the version of reality that we get. Yeah. And technology more and more is informing that version of reality. And so yeah, that was the same with that Twitter bot by... Uh, Microsoft that was trying to learn about humans and just oh, yeah, turn into a bigot. Yeah. Uh, that was that. I still have but to find a way it, to make it, that work. For we're, we're using politics as an example of meaning, but yeah. it, it is a very. It's almost the most dominant. Uh, <clears throat> I think it's just to, to say that, like, you know, the, all of these realities are constructed, and that a lot of what we consider meaningful is also constructed reality, right? Which you were yeah. you were alluding to earlier. Um, and it's built yeah, and on then I think in general, when people say I, I want to have a meaningful life, is that they want to contribute to the greater good, as opposed to just chasing money, which seems not meaningful. But it's a very simple goal. Like mm-hmm. when you when you just want to f- make a lot of money, that that's a lot simple. It's the same thing. Think I think the simple. generation before our parents was like, find a job and make some babies, <laughs> then then you've succeeded. Okay. But that's also like your perception of a simpler time, you know, like we always imagine. People people were starving coming out of World War II. So if their kids were fed, that was already, okay, amazing. Mm -hmm. And then the next generation says, I just want you to be happy. Mm -hmm. And that's such a complicated question. (laughs) It's so much more to ask. It's like, oh, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I think like at the end of the day, the biological imperative makes some sense is that uh, meaning is like being able to feed and replace your body with another body by having kids or mm-hmm. adopting or however you choose to do that. And so that we can just continue the same cycle over and over again. It's a, I mean, mm-hmm. if you really want to articulate it, it's always going to be depressing. Um, and you're saying that it's not depressing, actually. Well, it's Some not of depressing. The, be- the beauty it's is just, in the simplicity of that. No, not even. It's just... Um, I just... I just it's really hard for me to put it to words, but I just think the question of meaning is, is so astonishingly weird. It's, mm-hmm. uh, but there are lots of societies, or not societies, but there are religions, or not, not religions, but ways of thinking. Like I'm thinking, I'm not a Buddhist, but I've talked to Buddhists, and they seem very, they have these, um, they have these processes of like emptying oneself of uh, thought or meaning, or like, you know, like uh, that getting to some just awareness of self in the present mm-hmm. without associating uh, any action with a meaning yeah. as like uh, as an exercise in meditation. And then I remember I remember that in design, we also have this concept of like emptying a cup because when you're trying to learn something, you're supposed to like take all of the stuff that you know and you're supposed to throw it away. Like that's all assumptions, right? Mm-hmm. And so we often talk about becoming a better recording device, like becoming a better empty box. Well, the, it's it's that example of the field recordings that we do. Yeah. And I was walking around with Christina, my wife, and I think I talked about this before, but New York is really hectic. And if you're kind of tired, it's if you walk around on the street, it's too much and mm-hmm. you, you get angry or frustrated. But when you're trying to do a field recording, all of a sudden you're just listening and trying to find the most interesting noise. Yeah. And so we both were like, wow, this is such a different way of walking through the city. And I think that's the point of uh, what what I find interesting with art is just uh, letting the world come in and then you're an algorithm, you have an output, but you you don't have too much control over it. But No, I think that's just, a really good point, right? It's like it's it's the holding a mirror up, which is a bit of a cliche, but it's really like... Yeah. But that's not open, easy. Be, no, it's really hard to just be open to listening. And I think that's yeah. absolutely right. That's a really good point. Like, instead of projecting constantly, and we did talk about all of the voices, yeah. if we were all just better ears, right? Like, Well, that's the thing that I'm, I'm weary of, because it's the same with the optimism of the early web. If, if we were all just more right. such and such, I'm not sure. There's if, no blanket If we all statement. had an equal voice, maybe the world would be a better place. And then we're like, oh, maybe it wasn't so bad when things were more <laughs> top down. 
I'm just saying so, listening is a good skill to have. And a, a good, a great artist does listen. Well, then I think you're, again, like um, trying to put meaning into it and saying that that's good or bad. I can't win with you. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's just for me, I, the question came up because it, uh, I really logged out of Twitter and Facebook. I just couldn't handle it. It was just too crazy. And then to just sit down and be like, okay, I'm going to make this ball bounce at the edge of a browser. Yes. Yeah. I, I want to do that. And then you, know, it, you start questioning, okay, well, what what's the point or whatever. But yeah. it for me, it's just a survival strategy. I just, not in terms of I have to do it to su- survive monetarily, but just to keep my sanity I mean I, I think we've talked about it's an this. escape yeah. yeah I mean I often ask myself why do I sign myself up to be an artist it's really torturous um, mm-hmm. why do I continue to go back to that well to fill my well you, you, you get the meaning question when you make the work and then you start to think well what in, in the grand dialogue where does this stand and uh, do I have a position and all these difficult questions no but I think you're right that at the end of the day if I the best point you've made is like and I think the moment for me is at the beginning when I talked about like getting up before the sun to spend time with my brother, figuring out how computers worked was the probably the closest. Yeah, and thing you had I ever no intention me. or meaning or goal. Other yeah, than I just doing had. It. Yeah, all I was so focused on. Yeah, it was a very selfish thing, but it was actually with another person, right? It was yeah. just like we didn't know why we were compelled to do it. It was the opposite of playing outside, which was the meaningful thing to do. (laughs) Right. But we were spending time together trying to figure something out. Maybe it was a lot more like that time during the enlightenment. Maybe that's, you know, the purest thing to do is just to like, uh, act selfishly. I mean, you know, you accused me of being a selfish, uh, selfish guy last week. (laughs) Yeah. uh, You're accusing me again. How's the Kickstarter (laughs) going? Determined to destroy me. Oh, yeah, that's really funny. So it's not going very well. Uh, (laughs) But (laughs) I did post on Facebook and got like tons of uh, people commenting and saying cool things. But I just think like they're too expensive. That said, I did some sleazy thing, which I thought I told you I was going to do, which is I did some micro targeting, which is what the Trump campaign did for Mm -hmm. fake news. And I targeted communists that make over uh, $75,000 a year. Can you do that on Facebook? Yeah, you can do that. Is, is that a category for communists? Yeah, and what's really interesting, it's like people who have an interest in communism and make over a certain amount of money. What's really interesting is that like on the advertisement, this completely different conversation evolved. So I used the mm. same post and in two contexts. And, That's so weird. And the reality that, that was constructed was totally bizarre. And then one of the communists found me and jumped ship and came over to my <laughs> other thread. And in his on his Facebook profile, he has like, he's holding like a communist flag and he's like, but he was like trying to tear down art and talking about how like artists were gentrifying Brooklyn neighborhoods. And it was like, it was really interesting because it was this person not from my reality that suddenly came in because I used this targeting technique. And, uh, and he was it's not, such a, that's such a, I don't know if there was any sci-fi novel that predicted that you would target high income communists, <laughs> high income communists. Well, that's the thing I love is that he doesn't know that I know that he's an <laughs> Income communist, and he's talking about gentrification. <laughs> like, so now I want to do all these like micro targeted, like, um, kind are you of documenting like, everything? <laughs> I, I, are you I, taking I, screenshots? I, I have been taking a few screenshots. But it, yeah. I want to do a series of like micro targeted events where it's contradictions in identity, and that's just one that I thought was really funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I once spoke to a guy who does a lot of uh, social media for celebrities, mm-hmm. but it's a very scientific thing, so it's a big company. And they do social media for brands and uh, celebrities. A lot of the method is nostalgia. It's a very mm. powerful tool. But then he said that it's so scientific that a lot of times... Um, so the example he gave me was Usher. He was doing his social media. And then he said that, okay, we could target in seven categories. And we thought that cars and, and champagne, that would be the most popular category. Mm-hmm. But he had also had uh, categories like spending time with the children, rehearsing music, working on the new album, mm. working in the garden. And it turns out that Usher with his kids was the most successful category. So they would make little micro posts and put them up for two minutes in different regions and different. And yeah. that turned out to be the most popular. And their explanation was that all the fans that grew up with Usher now have children themselves. So oh. they want to see Usher with their. So 
it was really contradictory to his image, but then yeah, 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 yeah. But it was more the social graph. It was more meaningful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, because you, you could know, relate this, to it. It, it matched reality. This anthropologist, he's like a computer science scientist anthropologist, and he called social media a telescope for humanity. So mm. they they use social media. They they got the fire hose access, which means they. The, the yeah. big pipe they could scan for words and they could see how words mutate in culture and whether new terms come from mainstream media or from blogs and etc and but yeah it is a thermometer yeah those kinds of analytics and tools and slicing and dicing i mean i encourage everyone just to like go into the ad section of your you know the products that you're using <laughs> and <laughs> they're getting they're they're spending all of their money developing these products and they're really sophisticated now like the amount of stuff you can do yeah, well there, there you go again with the, the the question of meaningful because i i remember at seven on seven i think the year you performed yeah there was a guy who started a non-commercial version of twitter because he thought he his criticism was that the best brains in the world are used to trick us into clicking ads uh-huh. and so then you you have this question as okay you're a genius programmer yeah nobody can touch you you have methods that are way beyond uh, what will you spend your time with? And yeah. like, well, I don't know. Whatever makes the most money. Well, and then what makes the most money is is ads. And then because there yeah. was, a, you know, I think after two thousand and eight, a lot of the there was criticism that a lot of the best minds in the world were like solving algorithm problems for Wall Street, like how to make yeah. more money yeah. from stealing, <laughs> basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we could. Well, there you get to the question of meaningful because the the general non meaningful mission is making money. That's the simplest answer. And right. then the meaningful is always contradictory to that. Right. Yeah. But, I, you know, I said before, I think there's a bit of a myth propagation in terms of a tie, tying meaning to a lack of personal wealth, because it's mm-hmm. a very convenient myth for those that take well, money you could, from Well, you others. could view it this way, like if, if uh, money was not in the equation, what would you choose to spend your time on? And it would not be optimizing ad algorithms. Nobody naturally wants to optimize ads. Yeah. I mean, like the... The, yeah, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, though, like the bottom line is that, and this is kind of the Marxist angle, which is that we exist simply to replace ourselves, right? Like at the end of the day, like the only meaning we have as a biological, you know, organism is to replace ourselves, right? That's Can, can I disagree? I hate to disagree again. Well, that's su- no, that's success in terms of like evolution, right? Like, well, then the human species is very successful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we all have meaning because we're all great at having sex and making money so that we can have more sex, right? Like that's <laughs> that's the disgusting yeah. like truth probably, right? Yeah. That no one wants to We're all just admit. basically a tube that Food yeah. in and, and then we try and repress that meaning, right? There's like this great book by David Batchelor called Chromophobia. He even talks about how, you know, we associate color with tackiness, right? And it's like, a, it's a repression. Like anything that we enjoy, it, yeah. there's like a, there's that's a social I mean convention this, to repress it. The suspicion of aesthetic enjoyment. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. no, wait a minute. That's too pretty. I <laughs> yeah, can't you're, like that. You're enjoying yourself too much. Be guilty. Yeah. Feel bad. And that's like, maybe that's like a Catholic or some religious kind of thing guilt mm-hmm. has to be built into into humanity or society some for inhibition us. it's yeah. a form of control yeah mm-hmm. um because otherwise that we're, we're going to be like in satan's playground or something like that <laughs> a friend uh, of mine went to to he, uh, to his credit he was an early burner but he talked about burning man and he said they call them burners is, is that the thing yeah but it it, it <laughs> Burning Man is this this hedonistic vision, no? Like you can be naked, you can use drugs, you can have sex with anyone. It's also it's utopic in terms of community, isn't it? Yeah, but but then they're like, why can't? But he said, there's a reason people wear clothing. Like if you're naked all the time, you're not going to get anything done. You're just horny all the time, and so I understand these inhibitions or this. Mm. Methods of control because then you wouldn't be able to replace yourself either because you wouldn't. I can't speak. I, I well, you have a lot of babies, man, but so. you wouldn't have any home for them to live in. You couldn't feed them. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah, would yeah. die. So yeah. yeah, I don't know. All right, I'm exhausted, Raf. Yeah, <laughs> this is. Yeah, I mean, so I, I like that we got. We're going to listen to to a field recording. Oh yeah, yeah. So um, we got some great field recordings. We got more than one this week. Um, mm-hmm. But we got we one. got flooded. Yeah, why don't you talk about it this week? You, we both received an email from the same guy. Yeah. Um, so the one, 
that was sent to us is uh, Inton Godelg. Yeah, I just Which wanted. I couldn't pronounce Interesting name. His name. I never heard that name before. I, I looked it up because I was trying to pronounce it correctly. So I, I think probably apologies if we didn't get it right. We have a Dutchman and a Canadian trying to pronounce the Mexican <laughs> name. So and did you find out how it's pronounced? No, I, I tried to find like um, it pronounced online somewhere. And I couldn't figure. I couldn't find it. Um, yeah. So. But he 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 lives in Mexico City and he recorded a neighborhood which was run down and now it was taken over by cell phone vendors well it used to be like there were pornography cinemas in this neighborhood it right? was like the Times square of mexico city mm-hmm. basically I mean, it was all sleazy and now it's very commercial yeah but it's like i i loved hearing this recording because uh like it was we had recorded my toronto is like this cold hellscape right now where it's like the earth is it's just been humanity's been scraped off the city like the earth it, gave up it's like well it's just like there's been bleach poured all over the city. <laughs> it's like salt and bleach it's like everything's just scraped down to like bare like there's it's lifeless and uh you can't find life this time of year in the summer it's different but to hear this recording from mexico is so full of life you know yeah it reminded me of uh, friends from sweden visiting chinatown and they're like Wow, there are all these smells here, <laughs> right. and just Sweden doesn't have any smells because it's so cold. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think you imagine this also. There would be a lot of fragrances in this field recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tacos so, and scooters. It sounds like I want to be there. So hopefully we can take you there on the, on the wherever you are. Yeah. And so thank you, Inton. Uh, thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Raphael. And I, yeah. oh yeah, you know what I'm going to ask is we should ask something every week for the loyal people to get this a call far. to action our call to action that's right just so we can remain we can keep our reputation as sleazy marketers is that it would be really helpful if people would give us i i hear this in other podcasts all the time but i feel so uncomfortable saying it but i'm gonna say i feel uncomfortable and i think that makes it legit is to give us a five-star review on itunes and i laugh as i say it but it's like <laughs> if we don't get enough ratings on itunes no one else will find us <laughs> and they yeah, won't but this place this podcast is special it's only for the few it's only for the few that's true that's true but i i don't know i i think i think we could reach more people and i think it would be interesting to get like some communists that make over seventy five thousand dollars listening to us <laughs> 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 and for us to heal our hear a field did you recording. did you ever personally do a rating on a podcast you liked yeah yeah i do i think like okay. it's it it's like um just a sign of like hey i appreciate what you're doing and anyway yeah. i the the most appreciative thing we get is the messages uh via like email on facebook yeah and Twitter. It's, been, it's been nice that they're from different parts of the world which i yeah. always like that about the web it feels like the early internet Raphael, and we're, we're commenting yeah. this week and it's just it's beautiful so thank you for i mean certainly i find it meaningful actually. yeah um so thank you. We feel, we feel, yeah. uh, we feel great about it. Keep them coming. Yeah. Okay. okay. To, to Mexico. Bye bye.